Our sermon text for this morning is Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that Christ is very great. We know that the heavens are roaring the praise of his glory because he was born a man. He suffered on the cross on our behalf and he was raised to life. And he ascended to your right hand, and now he is ruling over all things. And we want to see, to taste, to know the greatness of Christ, the worth, the beauty. We want to experience his love. We want you and ask you to pour out your spirit so that we can see something of greater value than anything that these eyes can lay upon right now. We want to see something that will cause all of this darkness to turn to light. Let the shadows go. Let the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior pass before us now in these next moments through the rest of this service And help us, encourage us, give us grace and strength to run this race, to run for the prize, to press on, to keep going. We need your help. These jars of clay need to be filled. Would you do that now? Because you love us for the sake of your son. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I trust that there's probably not many people in here who are unfamiliar with Walt Disney's The Lion King. (laughs) So you'll remember that when Simba was a youth... He was aware from a young age that he was appointed to inherit the Pride Lands. Mufasa was his daddy, and he was a prince. So that meant that everything that Mufasa had and everything Mufasa ruled over and everything that belonged to Mufasa was someday going to pass down to Simba. And he had this prize in his sights. So fixated was he on receiving the kingdom that he sang the song, I just can't wait to be king. That was all Simba wanted. He just wanted to receive the kingdom that belonged to his daddy. And admittedly, Simba was often foolish 
a lot of his ambition for the kingdom was self-centered and inward-focused. But nonetheless, he had the prize before him. And you know the story. I don't need to go into great detail, but Scar, his uncle, murdered his father and made Simba believe that he was the very reason that Mufasa was murdered. So Simba was exiled from the kingdom, and he went to a place of comfort, a place where he could forget his shame and his guilt, and he stayed there for a time. And then as providence would have it, he ran into his old friend Nala, and she called him to come back to that prize that he had been so eager to get his hands on as a youth. And he wrestled inwardly for a time with his guilt and his embarrassment, still believing that Mufasa's death was owing to him. But in the course of time, that prize that he had held on to as a youth came back into his heart. And when that happened, when he got a glimpse of that thing that he had so treasured before, and its worth was re-impressed upon his heart, he ran. He left his place of comfort, forgetting his shame, forgetting his assumed guilt even, and he went forward. He ran towards the prize. And his was an earthly prize. Some portion of Africa and a rock. And what the Apostle Paul is calling us to do this morning in this text is the same thing that Simba did. He saw a prize, something that he knew was worth it, and he ran for it. He reached for it. He pursued it. He had to have that. And Paul has seen something, this apostle. He saw something in the Savior that he knew that he had to have. It was the resurrection. He wanted to be back with God. He wanted to stand in the presence of God, innocent, forgiven of all of his sins, restored to a position of fellowship with a new body, a body that didn't bear in it the weakness and shame and difficulty of the human experience, a body that was even made to be like that of Jesus Christ, the firstborn in the new creation. And so we, like Simba, even more so like Paul, need to run towards a prize. And just as a reminder, I'm going to turn to the book of Psalms to illustrate quickly what this prize is, Psalm 16 and the last verse, and Psalm 17, the final verse. Beautiful statements. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I wake, 
I shall be satisfied with your likeness. This is the prize that Paul is holding before us. It's nothing less than the immediate presence of God. The immediate presence of a father who would send his perfect son and a son who would willingly go to the cross for you and me. And a spirit who is the Lord and giver of life and will make you alive right now and forever. You remember Jesus said that the righteous, those who receive his kingdom by faith, will shine as the sun in the kingdom of his father. That's the prize that is before us. We get to shine with the very glory of God. And so that's what we're running towards. That's what we're striving to take hold of. And that's what Paul is setting before the Philippians. And now, Paul had accomplished more in his first year of ministry than most of us will accomplish in our whole life. But as a, a loving pastor, as a gentle mother would treat her children, he opens our text with this statement of encouragement. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. Because you start to hear about this prize and I have to run and I have to get it and how am I going to do this? I'm such a failure. And you see the apostle saying right in the beginning, I'm not there yet. I haven't been raised to the fullness of life that I am going to experience with this body. I have not yet set aside all of my selfishness. So, we need to receive the comfort that is here for us right in the beginning. We have to press on. We have to lay hold of this. But there's comfort and assurance in the very beginning. And so we must run towards this prize. But the first point that I'm going to draw out of verse 12 is that we only run because we have been purchased. We don't simply run towards the prize of heaven and to the kingdom of God because we are more intelligent than the rest of humanity. We're not able to run this race because we've looked deep within ourselves and realized something of more substance, something of greater value than the average person has. The reason that we are able to run this race is because someone greater than us has called us to himself. This is consistent with the New Testament and all of the scriptures. But if you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul is having the discussion with the Corinthians about sexual immorality, and his whole argumentation is that you should abstain from this because you're not your own anymore. You were bought and at a price. So now your body exists to give glory to God. And by engaging in immorality, you're using something that belongs to God inappropriately. 
you're misrepresenting him. And so God has purchased us. You could see the same teaching in 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter is talking to the church and he says, you were ransomed from the feudal received from your forefathers, not with things like silver and gold that perish, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. God took your life and he bought it. He bought you. He owns you and he is a loving father. And so the reason that we can run at all is because through the death and resurrection of Christ, we've been brought into God's possession. We already belong to God. But if by chance there was someone here this morning who hadn't made it this far, who doesn't know if they really are purchased of God, there wouldn't be very much point for you to think much further in the sermon or the message or whatever I have to say because this is the starting place. Either you belong to God as one of his purchased and forgiven children or you're still without God in the world. You're alienated. You have no love for God. There's no life of God in you. There's nothing in your heart that's truly drawing you to him. Maybe you have some morality that you found or a new group of people that you belong to that you admire. The whole point of this is to be with God. And so if you haven't known the cleansing power of the Spirit of God, purifying your heart and your conscience from all those dead works of sin that you've been entangled in your whole life, if you haven't experienced the power of Christ's resurrection, raising you inwardly to a new principle of life, a new reality inside of you that causes you to be drawn towards God instead of hide from God. If you haven't made it that far, just stop right here and think about that. Have you been purchased? Has the Spirit of God truly brought new life into you? Do you love Christ? Do you love his people? What kind of place and priority does serving the church have in your life? Jesus said that the greatest witness to our faith would be how we love his people. So if the Spirit has worked to purchase you, do you love the people of God? But for us who are graciously, by God's gift in this kingdom, we've been purchased. And so we look and see that Paul's also calling us to run for this prize. But we're not running in our own strength. We're not running on our own foundation. We're not running on our own intelligence or talents or whims. We're running because God has done something for us. And so the next point is, 
that we're going to press on towards this prize despite our past. Regardless of the things that have passed, we're going to keep running. Now what I mean is this. All of us, at some point, have been distracted from the thing that is before us in heaven. And oftentimes, the thing that will distract us has passed behind us. It's not here anymore. We could look at our failures. Look at Paul's failures. He was a persecutor of the church. He injured the people of God. He tried to force people to blaspheme the name of Christ. He ripped apart families and churches. And in this text... He says that as he presses on towards the resurrection, the thing that he does, this one thing that he does, is forgetting what lies behind. So what is it in your past that hinders your energy, that hinders your joy and your constancy as you're running towards heaven, eager to meet God? What does Satan bring before you? Failures in parenting? Failures in marriage? Sexual immorality? What, what deep hidden thing in your heart does Satan bring before you? As you reach for heaven and he says, wait a minute, you're not fit to be there. God has purchased you. He has given you a new life. It's no longer your own life even. He purchased you for himself. And so you are given permission in this very text to forget that thing, that shame, that failure, We're all filled with failures. If God can't work despite our past, despite our sin, then there's no hope at all. But Christ was raised from the dead. Put it behind you and keep pressing forward. Run this race regardless of your failures. Despite your failures, keep pressing on. But we also need to consider the fact that our successes can be a hindrance. If Paul just wanted to sit around and contemplate the fact that he had seen the third heaven, that he had seen the blinding light of the resurrected Christ, or had started churches everywhere, and he became distracted and just focused on all these successes that were in his past, rather than reaching forward for more labor, for more honor that he could bring to God. He was given five talents. Okay, maybe you've used four, but go use the fifth. 
Don't you want to bring the most joy with you that you can? The most treasures to lay at the feet of Christ. Maybe you've started a church or you've led 10 people to put their trust in Jesus. That's wonderful. But don't stop there. Not until you've reached the heavenly shores. Don't let your successes hinder you from a reaching forward toward the prize that still waits for you. So we have to press on despite our past. And we even have to press on despite our past trials. We've all suffered. Some of us have experienced more difficulty than others. And sometimes those trials have a gripping power over our lives, don't they? You get out of it, you've even moved past the thing. But still, it's this weight. I can't get past this. I don't know where I'm going to find any energy to move forward. A few years ago when my mother passed away and Eden and I were in our most difficult year of marriage that we had had yet, that trial threatened to throw me off of this path. I thought I was running so well. I thought I had the prize so clear in front of me that nothing was going to hinder my advance towards this prize. I was so self-confident. I was such a spiritual Christian. And then this trial falls into my life and my foot almost slipped. These trials are going to come. But by the grace of the Spirit of God, he can move us past this. And Paul is calling us in this passage to say, forget that. Move forward. There's still something better. There's still some comfort for you. There's still something of substance and hope. And so we press on toward this prize. And moving into our third point, we press on because it is the mature thing to do. There's the saying that you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. The Apostle Paul wouldn't accept that saying. Think of his wording, his phrases he used. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with God in Christ. We who are in this earthly tent groan not wishing to be unclothed, but to be fully clothed. We look to the things not that are seen, but those that are un- unseen. For all that is seen is transient, but that which is unseen is eternal. In fact, to be heavenly minded is to be of earthly good. Because the only thing that can guide and shape our motives as we strive to please God and strive to love the people around us, is the prize. It's having our affection joined to Christ. It's having his resurrection 
be our goal. That is the very thing that will make you of earthly good. He's given you these talents, this time, this generous heart, this merciful, compassionate demeanor. He's given you all these things, but how do you know what to do with them? Do you spend any time looking to their source? Christ is the origin of everything that you have. Every good gift has come down from his Father. Do you know him? Do you know him intimately? To be heavenly minded in this way, in devotion to God, in fellowship with God, through the Son and through the Spirit, this will make you of earthly good. And so it is a mature thinking that we reach for when we look to the resurrection. We're looking for this new kingdom. We're looking to the pleasures that are at our God's right hand. We're looking to the fullness of joy that comes in his presence when we're there. And because we're looking towards that prize, we say, what can I do? I want to bring the most joy, the most people, the most honor. When that day arrives, oh, it's going to be such a day. That is going to be such a wonderful day. When we see our resurrected king and we're there with him. And so we run for the prize because it's the mature thing to do. And I thank God for, the, for this church. I have heard more talk about the resurrection and the upward call of heaven since I came into fellowship with this body. And at first, it made me a little uncomfortable, I'll admit. Because there's a sense in which you, you hear about that and you think, well, I don't think like that. But that's the mature way to think. We're going towards heaven. We're going towards Christ. We have to shed this earthly body and put on an incorruptible body to get there. This is mature. This is right Christian thinking. And Paul would have us know that. He's not offering it up for debate. If you want to be mature, the resurrection ought to be your focus. But he's also in the same brushstroke, showing us how patient he is. And that brings us to our fourth point. We run for the prize with our brothers and sisters patiently. When I first was called out of my sin, I wasn't focused on the resurrection. I just knew that I had this new life that I had experienced the forgiveness of God and the work of his spirit in my heart. But I wasn't looking for a new eternal kingdom. I knew that was a teaching of the Christian faith, and logically, yes, that comes with it. I believe that. But that didn't actually dominate my living. But Paul, in his remarkable patience, even as he is setting forth this teaching, this precedent, this is mature Think like this, but if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. So he's leaving room for those, 
for there to be some of us who are so focused on this resurrection that everything that we do is dominated by that prize. That's our goal. That's our motive. That's what we're straining for. And then there's also going to be those among us who don't seem to think about this at all. There's going to be people who seem to live their lives in a a less careful, less joyful, less optimistic, less hopeful, less substantial way maybe than those who are maybe further along in the faith. But Paul says, don't, don't shame and condemn those people. He says, God's going to reveal that to them. He's going to show them this prize. And they are going to come to this point where everything in them is fixated on the resurrection. They're going to get there too. They're going to look to put off that earthly body and put on that heavenly body. And they're going to see that that's it. That's the goal. We want to be with our God. But if they're not there yet, wait for God to do that work. Maybe come alongside and instruct them. But don't look down on them. Walk with them patiently. Run with them patiently. Even if they don't see the prize as clearly as you do. And so we've seen that there's a prize. We're running for it. And Paul is calling us to lay hold of that prize. And so we press on towards it, not because we're strong or clever or wise enough, but because God has gripped us and made us his people. He purchased us. And then we've also seen that we run for this prize despite the things that have taken place in the past. Failures, victories, trials that hinder us. And we also run for this prize because it is the mature thing to do. This is the right way to think. The resurrection needs to be our goal because that's where Christ is. And we run for this prize with our brothers and sisters patiently, realizing that we ourselves We're not always at this point. I think that I've gone on long enough, but I wanted to end with a poem that I wrote. It's called Run for the Prize. Are you weary from all your toil? Is your lamp running out of oil? Is your past a burden still? You try so hard to run ahead, but guilt and shame fill you with dread. Do you doubt that there is hope in Christ, thinking you've made a shambles of your life? Perhaps you miss the sweeter days, and on them you seem to fix your gaze. Comforts, trials, sins, and pleasures. We've all known some earthly treasures. Ahead of us, there lies a day with a light that will not fade. A radiant light beyond compare 
And on this light, you were born to stare. It issues from a grander source than you or I have ever known, pouring from a righteous throne. This light before us is so worthwhile, it makes up for every grueling mile. As you run your tiring race, fix your eyes upon that place where earthly trials shall be no more and you can rest on heavenly shores. You've run a while, but don't stop yet. That would lead to endless regret. How long you'll run, there is no telling, but keep straining toward your heavenly dwelling. You must see Christ in his perfections. So run on towards the resurrection. And the final stand, or lines are a prayer, and this is how I'll end. Father, call us upward now. We long to see Christ and before him bow. Let us meet you, your spirit too, the one who makes us fit for you. Help us reach the prize before us. Let us join the angels' chorus. Grant us life that never fades. We long to put our sins away. Until we reach that upward prize, help us run to live as Christ. Amen.